Well, welcome once again. Uh, today we are starting a brand new series, and the series is called Hashtag Struggles, Following Jesus in a Selfie-Centered World. And if you're not familiar with uh, the term hashtag, uh, maybe you're not on social media, um, hashtag is a term that's really made popular by social media. It helps to connect what, what people are saying um, about a similar topic and, you know, social media platform. Uh, for example, you go to Instagram or Twitter and you, tie, and you just do a search for hashtag summer break. You're going to get all kinds of pictures and all kinds of things that, that you know, uh, people are doing for, you know, spring break, and, and it just kind of ties it all together. So, we're, or, or summer break, I should say, or spring break, either one. Um, we're, so, we're calling this series Hashtag Struggles, Following Jesus in a Selfie-Centered World, because we're going to look at some struggles that are common that people have um, and that are gaining intensity that are becoming more of a problem, gaining in intensity, partly because of the effect that social media has had on our culture. Now, I'm not down on social media. I'm down on parts of it. You know, some of the things about social media I love. I mean, we are able to, to uh, uh, mainly, it's, you know, I'm able to connect with people that are, uh, and keep in touch with people all over the world. You know, there were people that I saw on, on Facebook just you know, yesterday that I hadn't seen in, you know, since the early 80s when we moved away from Decatur, and all of a sudden I'm seeing them on Facebook. Um, it's, it's, we're able to connect, I'm able to connect with, with old friends, you know, some from high school, some from, from elementary school. Uh, recently I connected with an old friend from when we lived in Fort Wayne. He's pastoring a church in northern Indiana. He came down for an IU uh, IU basketball game, uh, and you know that we went together, and first time we'd seen each other in in you know, over 20 years. Uh, so you know it, it, it's great. There's we're able to connect with people, you know, from this church that have literally gone all over the world. You know, from from Indonesia to you know ever any anywhere, because um, we've got people that have been a part of this church have gone out from here and still connected through Facebook, through social media. There's a lot of good, encouraging things with social media. But let's be honest, there's also some real problems with social media. Sociologists are saying that social media has become one of the biggest driving causes of discontentment in our lives. Because we look at an image of somebody else's life and their family, and we don't realize that they're just posting a filtered, photoshopped image of their life and not as it is in reality. You know, if someone said, we're comparing our bloopers and behind-the-scenes you know, uh, shots to other people's highlight reels, and you look at other people's posts, you get the idea that they're on top of the world, they're living it up, everything is going wonderful, and yet you end up feeling like a loser because you're seeing their best and looking at your life and seeing your worst. Um, I actually saw uh, where, where two people, you know how you share things on Facebook, you see something else and you share it to your wall, you know, whether it be news article or, or, or joke or whatever. I actually saw where two people had shared the same thing on their walls, and 
and uh, two, two shared the same post, and one said to, commented to the other one. They were friends. One commented to the other one and said, why did you get so many posts or likes on your post and I didn't get any? They were upset. They shared the same thing, and they were, this person was upset because their friend got a whole bunch of likes on the post when they shared it. They didn't get any. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> and actually, researchers did a study of two college universities where they had students spend half an hour on Facebook and then surveyed their feelings after half an hour of just looking on Facebook. And what they found was that one-third of the students felt significantly depressed, citing envy as the number one emotion of what they felt after 30 minutes of just watching what happens on Facebook. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at our lives and we want to expose any discontent that is uh, uh, harboring or that is residing in our hearts and then get rid of it. So on your outline, you'll see three categories there, three categories of discontentment. As we look at these, I just want us to take an honest, gut-level look at our lives and ask ourselves if we struggle with any of these areas. Nobody's going to look at this. You're not going to turn it in. You're not going to come up here and explain your answer or what you checked, anything like that. Just between you and the Lord. You know, just, just let Him take a look at your life and, and, and say, okay, is, is there any of these areas of discontent that, that we struggle with? And if there is, then just check there. First one is material and financial. You know, this would be like you look at a post of a friend who's got, maybe they, they, they just bought a new car, they post a picture with, with them and the car dealer, you know, the salesman, you know, shaking hands, or, or they're standing in their driveway with it, you know, the keys in hand, and, and you're happy for them, but part of you is also jealous, because it's a really nice looking car, you know, and, and, you know, your car is sitting in your driveway, and you're thinking of all the things that are wrong with it, and all the times it's been <coughs> remodeled. I've remodeled a few cars in my day, <laughs> and, and, and you know, so, so you're happy, but you're also jealous, or, or, or maybe somebody just got the latest and greatest, you know, iPhone or iPad or, or MacBook Air, whatever it is, and, and you think, you know, I wish I could afford that, or, or maybe one of your friends, you know, it seems like every six months they're posting, and we all have friends like this, they're posting pictures of a, their vacation to Disneyland or Disney World, okay? And you're thinking, I would like to go once. And you think, this is their third or fourth or fifth time, and, you know, how, how, how can they afford that? You know, something, something like that, material and financial. It's, it's when we struggle because we don't have what someone else has or what, you know, sometimes what it seems like everyone else has, you know, and we don't have it, and we struggle with that, all right? Second category is relational. You know, relational, this can take a number of different forms, but let's say everyone at work, you know, um, everyone at work goes out to lunch. They all go out together, but nobody has said anything to you. And you're sitting there with your brown bag and your PBJ, and you don't even like PBJ, and they're starting to post pictures of this wonderful Thai or Indian, you know, lunch that they're all having together and they're all laughing, and you're sitting there at your desk. Right? Relational. 
Um, uh, everyone else is always doing things and going places with friends, and you're sitting on your couch scrolling, wanting somebody to just give a call. And then there's circumstantial discontent. That's when you look at the stage of life that you're in, and you think, I thought I'd be farther by now. I thought I'd have a better job or be farther along in my career by now. I should have my own home by now, but I'm still in an apartment. Or all your friends, you know, your friends are married and raising families, and, and th that's all you've ever wanted, and you're sitting there, and you're not married, and you're not raising a family. Your circumstances not changed along with your friends. It's when you look at someone else's circumstance or stage in life and you wish you could just trade places with them. If you deal with any of these categories of discontent, just put a check in the box. Let's be honest, because we all deal with some of it to some degree at different times in our lives. Because our culture, our society feeds discontent. It encourages discontent. You know, it's been said that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. But the truth is sometimes we act as if life is 90% what happens to us and 10% how we respond to it. Because we don't recognize how important our response is. The Apostle Paul was truly one that knew how to react to life from a Christian perspective. And we're going to see this as we look at something he wrote to the Philippian church. But before we do, I just want to mention, some of you know this, some of you don't. But just for the sake of those who may not be aware of this, I want, to, want us to consider what Paul's situation was uh, when he wrote the book of Philippians. Because when you read Scripture, context is everything. And it's especially helpful here with the book of Philippians. When Paul wrote this letter, he was writing from a, Rose, from a Roman prison. That was his circumstance. He was sitting in a Roman prison. He's under house arrest. He's, he's chained to a Roman guard 24-7. So like he could move around as long as the chains would move. Chained to a Roman guard 24-7. He's dependent on his friends to bring food and to care for his needs. They were allowed to do that. And if they did it, great. If they didn't, tough luck, Paul. Picture that and then picture him writing this. Philippians 4, starting in verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. In other words, I've had both experiences. There's been times when I've been in need, times when I've not, times you know, when I've had plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ who, who gives me strength. Something I want us to catch here. Paul said there were times he had plenty. No needs, no more want. I mean, he, everything he needed, everything taken care of. He said he had times when he had plenty. Have you, have you ever had that? Have you ever had a time in your life, you know, maybe it wasn't very long or maybe it was, maybe you're there now, maybe not, 
but where you have plenty. All your bills are paid. You're eating well. Things are going smoothly in your life. I remember one time I asked somebody in the church, hey, you know, Fred, how's it going? And he goes, it's going great. He goes, this area of my life is great. This area of my life is going well. This area is going well. This area is going well. And this area. He had five areas that he listed off. Everything was going great. How many would like to have that, right? You know, finances, family, school, everything, everything was 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 going great. See, Paul had those times where he had plenty. Thing is, that's not what brought him contentment. He had to learn contentment in those times. See, we tend to believe that if only I had this thing, or if only this circumstance would change in my life, you know, then I would be content. Then I would be happy. Then I would be satisfied. I'm not asking for much. I just want all my bills paid. I just want this stress removed from my life. If these things would happen, then I'd be happy. I'd be content. That's what we believe. But Paul says that we can live above our circumstances and we can find true contentment regardless of what our circumstances are. And then he tells us what a secret is. The secret of contentment is not found in what I do or do not have. It's not found in what circumstance I am or am not in. The secret of contentment is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Only. The secret of contentment is found in Christ alone. That's why so many people go through their entire lives always reaching for something and never attaining it because they're reaching for the wrong things and they're never going to attain it. The secret of contentment is not having a little more money or a nicer home or a steady job, a better car. The secret of contentment is having Christ. If we leave him out of the equation or make him secondary in any way, contentment will always elude us. When Christ is left out or ignored, contentment will always be an unattainable goal because it's not found in anything but Him. It's only through Him and in Him that we will ever find, that we'll ever truly find contentment and the ability to live above what our circumstances are. And the reason for that is really the, the, the truth is He's all we need. He, I, he is all we need. Everything else can be stripped away. Everything else can be removed. But if we have Christ, then we have all we need. In fact, it's when He's all you have that we truly discover He's all we need. Blaise Pascal said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. And yet, 
we spend our lives trying to, you know, fill our lives with things, fill our lives with, with other people's approval, fill our lives with our own achievements, fill our lives with fame, fill our lives with external experiences. But no matter how hard we try, nothing can fill that place in our hearts but Christ. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that, that tells us that God set eternity in the human heart. We were born for eternity. We were born with a longing that nothing on this earth will satisfy. And thus the discontent that's so prevalent in many people's lives. No matter how hard we try or where we look, until we truly let Christ be all that we need, then we will always battle with discontent. We will never be satisfied. And envy will rule our hearts. So this morning, I want to give you two things that will help to rid your heart of envy and begin experiencing true contentment. Two things, and they're things that, are, that through Christ's strength, every one of us can do. The first of these, we need to get rid of comparisons. We need to kill comparisons. We need to kill comparisons. Because we get in trouble, we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. We compare houses, we compare cars, we compare clothes, we compare achievements, we compare appearances, we compare every, you name it, we compare it with, you know, and we're looking at somebody else and comparing what we have with what they have. We get a new phone, and it's great. It's working so much better than our old one, and it is it's, it, it, it's wonderful and, you know, takes great pictures and even makes great phone calls. Imagine that for a phone, you know, and, and we're so happy with it. A couple of months goes by and then somebody else gets the latest model. It takes even better pictures. And it, it, it uh, uh, you know, you, you don't even have to, to fingerprint the, the home button to have it wake up all you got to do is look in the phone and it wakes up you know it unlocks itself you know imagine that you don't even have to you know make sure you got your thumb on there right or your finger on the right for the finger we look at we compare what others have we compare who we are we compare how we did with something compared to some how they do they did a much better job of that or or boy I, I did a whole lot better job of that than they did and I mean we compare all the time and, and, you know, the thing is, if the comparison goes in our favor, then we're affirmed. We feel good about ourselves. We're on top. But if the comparison goes in their favor, that's when we start to feel bad about ourselves. We feel that somehow we're lacking. We feel that we're, we're not as good as them. And we get this thing inside called envy that stirs up and we start to envy them because if only I had what they had, then I'd be as good as them or I'd even be better. And that envy starts to, to eat away at us. It destroys our peace. It, it deteriorates our self-image. It plants seeds of bitterness and it insults God. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who, who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. 
He says, we don't dare to compare ourselves. We don't even start to go there. Why? Because it's not wise. Because there's no good that comes from it. None. Listen to what James says. In chapter three, James chapter 3, it says, If you're bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. You know, don't try to you know, pretend to be something you're not and all of that. Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. So bitter, bitter jealousy, envy, James not only says it's earthly and unspiritual, he gets right down to it and said, no, it's, it's downright demonic. Its roots are, that's where its roots are, in the demonic. And its fruit in our lives, the fruit is destructive. It, it, it brings disorder. It brings chaos. It's a breeding ground for every kind of evil. In other words, it fits right into the enemy's plan to steal, kill, and destroy our very lives. That's what happens when we compare ourselves to others. And it doesn't matter if we're comparing possessions, giftings, callings, circumstances, anything. It stirs up jealousy, bitter envy, selfish ambition, and results in bringing chaos in our lives and invites and produces every kind of evil. That's why we need to be ruthless when it comes to killing comparison in our lives. And yet, there's something in us that wants to do that all the time. There's something in us that wants to, because we, 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 we want to look at somebody else and we want to feel better our, about ourselves when we compare them ourselves with them. And, if, and if, if they win out in the comparison, it attacks who we are. And the enemy uses it in our mind. So we've got to be ruthless in killing comparison. But it's not enough to just do that. We've got to cultivate something else in its place. Any, any ideas what? What we need to cultivate? What, Candy? What? Contentment? Okay, how do we do that? How do we do that? That's good. What leads to contentment? How about gratitude? We cultivate gratitude in our lives to get to contentment. I found in my own life that one of the best ways to keep from focusing what, on, on what other people have that I don't is to turn my focus on what I do have and begin to thank God for that. And sometimes we can look at our lives, well, I don't have anything. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. doesn't matter what our situation is. We have so much to be thankful for. I was thinking this week about, I don't know why, I was thinking about snow and wintertime. Uh, I'm in Africa, and I'm thinking about snow and wintertime. Anyway, uh, I was thinking this week about, it was probably about 10 years ago. We were living in our, our, our other house, and, you know, our driveway, even our driveway now, it's, it's like this at an angle. And we had gotten a fresh falling of about eight inches or something like that of snow. 
I don't like cold. I don't like humidity. I like the middle seat, everything just to be just right. Well, we had all the snow, and, and I had to clear the driveway. Otherwise, there's you know no way to, to get up the driveway with the car. You'd have to get a running start and fishtail slide all over the place. Anyway, back to the story. Um, snow in the, and you know, I'd cleared it the day before, but when I cleared it the day before with our snowblower, we had a secondhand hand-me-down snowblower. My dad had had it for years. He moved to Florida, gave it to us if we wanted it. The handle had, was a little shorter than it should be because it had broken twice. And so I had to like slide the one piece up on the other and bolt it down. So uh, it was missing one of the blades on it. Um, and the night before this, the rubber uh, uh, primer bulb had broken off. It had been deteriorating. The, I mean, this thing was old, and it had broken off. So I'm sitting there looking at a broken snowblower, eight inches of snow in the driveway, and I'm just like, why? You know, why? And then, you know, I, 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 I thought, how, what can I do? How in the world can I? Can I, I don't want to shovel the driveway. Should have called Mike. I don't want to shovel the drive. He loves snow. I don't know why, but yeah. Um, but, you know, so anyway, and I happened to look down, and there on the floor of the garage in front of the washer and dryer was a one of those rubber suction cups, those clear rubber suction cups like you would hang on a window for a window catcher. And I thought, I wonder. And I placed it over where the rubber bulb had broken off, and it was the same size. So I held it on there tight and was able to get enough of a seal to push it in to get the primer going to get the thing started. And then I'm sitting there, I'm finding myself, you know, I'm walking up and down the, the driveway, blowing away the snow, and I started thinking. And I started thanking God for that little rubber thing, that little rubber window catcher suction cup. And then I started thanking God that I even had the snowblower to get going in the first place. And then I started looking at other things in my life. And I started thanking God for all the blessings in my life. I started thanking God for, for the people in my life, my family and friends and, and people in my life that meant a, a, a lot to me. And, and, started thank, and I spent that whole time clearing the driveway, just thanking God, just extending gratitude to God, say, thank you for this blessing. Thank you that this is this way in my life and not that. Thank you that, that this is going on. Thank you for this... And, and by the time I was so up, and I didn't care about the broken snowblower, and I wrote a, I, I posted a, a thing on Facebook, but it's been about 10 years ago, posted a thing on Facebook, um, you know, thank God for a broken snowblower or something like that, because that's what started it all. Now, I could have just sat there and grumbled the whole way, the, 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 the handle broken twice, the veins missing, and now the... You know, I had to hold this thing on there and prime it. Well, thank God I was able to do that. Gratitude. When we cultivate gratitude in our lives, it goes a long way in diffusing envy. It goes a long way in, in cultivating contentment. 
when we can look to God and say, thank you for all this in my life that's going on. Focusing on what I do have and not what I don't have or not what other people have. See, gratitude is not something that happens by itself. It needs to be cultivated, and we do that by choosing to change where we put our focus. Look in Proverbs 15, 15. It says, for the despondent, every day brings trouble. You ever been there? For the despondent, when you're despondent, for the despondent, it seems like every day brings trouble. Nothing can ever go right. You just go farther down. Then it says, for the happy heart, life is a continual feast. See, the thing about that we need to see is that despondency and a happier, cheer, cheerful heart, those describe heart attitudes. Attitudes are choices. And granted, sometimes they're difficult choices to make, but they're choices nonetheless. And our attitude will determine what we see. Our attitude will determine what we see. Whether we see trouble or whether life is a continual feast. We can learn, as Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 6.9, to enjoy what we have. He says, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. We learn to enjoy what we have. Contentment. It breeds contentment. Reading again what Paul said in Philippians 4, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So, let's kill comparisons and be ruthless about it. And let's cultivate gratitude as we press into Christ. As we do that, then we'll be able to say with Paul, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Let me close by asking this. Where have you been comparing yourself to others? Material things, relationships, you know, circumstances, whatever. Where have you been comparing yourself to others? I mean, we all do it. You know, we go through seasons where we do it more than others, but, but you know, we've all, we've all done it. And then also let me ask, what do you need to begin expressing gratitude for? And how will you do it? Begin to develop a plan. Identify, you know, I need to be more grateful for this in my life. You know, my, my snowblower, it may be old, it may have been repaired, you know, several times, it may be falling apart. But thank God I do have it. Or even if it's shot and it's seen its last day and it's not going to clear another snowflake. At least I had it for the time that I had it. My car may have trouble. It may not be. The, here's something. Our old car that we still have, our Buick. 
got a few little scratches and dings. I mean, it's, you know, it's older. It, it, it rides like a boat. You know, if you ever want to go sailing, you can take that, you know. Um, mechanically runs fine, you know, but when you're driving it, you get this strange sensation that you're taller than you thought you were because something is hitting your head. It's the, the you know, the, the, the roof liner, you know, that's, that's, you know, it's been sinking down. I've tried glue, but apparently I don't have the right kind of glue, and it just comes down. In fact, you look through the rearview mirror, you know, all you see is the liner, you know, down like that, you know. So it, it, it's, it's seen its better days, and, you know, I, I've thought about getting rid of it. But the thing is, <laughs> I thank God for that car and that we still have it because when one of the kids needs to borrow a car because theirs is in the shop or something happened to it or whatever, there's a vehicle that they can borrow to get around in. Right? I thank God for it. I, I, I've thought about selling that thing or, or, or junking it or whatever several times, but it's like that has gotten so much use over the past six months you know, because of, hey, I, I need to borrow, you know, hey, I'm with it without a car. Mine's in the shop. Remind, this has happened to this. And, and say, well, the Buick's always there if you want to borrow it. And, and while we were gone, you know, David uh, uh, loaned his car to somebody else. So he borrowed the, our good car. And then somebody else was stuck and needed a car. So he loaned them our Buick. And, you know, the thing has gotten so much more use, you know. And I thank God that we have it. There's always something to be grateful for. So think about what it is in my life that, I've, that, I've, that I need to learn to be grateful for, and then how can I start to do that? That'll make a huge difference in our lives. And when we can do that and realize that, you know, we're pursuing Christ with everything, we're seeking Him with everything, We'll find the secret of contentment. Not being ruled by envy because somebody else may have something that we don't have and we want or maybe in a different stage of life or maybe in a better circumstance in the same stage of life. Contentment doesn't rest on any of that. If we've got Christ... That's everything right there because everything else is going to pass away. But we'll always have him. Let's stand. like the worship team to come up. And if you're here today and, and you don't know Christ, I want to just give you an invitation. What I'd like you to do is, is I'm not going to ask for a raise, show of hands or anything like that. Um, if you want to know Christ and you don't, then I want you to just come up after service, talk to me or talk to somebody on our prayer team and just say, you know, I'd like to just know him and give my life to him, surrender to him, or I'd like to know what it means to do that. And we'd be more than happy, more than happy to talk to you. So we're going to um, go ahead and, and transition right now um, uh, and... Uh, receive the, the, the tithes and the offerings as the bag.